Good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you all today. I told Brother Tim I did appreciate him giving me at least a few minutes notice. You know, before uh, the church here was kind enough and burdened enough to call me to be ordained, Brother Tim, you know, tested and tried me a little bit more, and he didn't always give me notice. So it's nice to get a little notice. If you would, turn with me to John, the 18th chapter. I was thinking as we sang that last song, When I Go Home, the thought occurred to me that I suspect that most of you who were singing that so beautifully truly believe in your hearts that heaven is your home and that you're headed there or you probably wouldn't be here this morning. The question that comes to my mind at times is how is it that we believe that and why do we believe that when so many people in the world don't just doubt that reality but uh, despise that reality. You know, we're told in Ephesians, the first chapter, the 19th verse, that we believe according to the working of his mighty power. In Philippians, the second chapter, we're told to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And we're told in 1 John chapter 4 in the 19th verse that we love him because he first loved us. So if nothing else I say today makes any sense, please remember this and hold on to this. If you find yourself in a position of belief this morning that heaven is your home and you have a desire to be there with your Savior, it is because He is indeed your Savior and because He has given you the faith to believe that in your heart sovereignly according to His own good pleasure. Now we take pleasure in it and I especially take pleasure in it when I hear a song sung so beautifully that reminds me of that home and helps me remember that this world is not my home. There's a lot of beauty in this world, but you all know there's also a lot of tragedy. And so we find ourselves many times as we walk through this life, as we move across the face of this globe, as we go about our daily lives, asking ourselves, um, what is the evidence for these things? How do we understand these things? And you'll find that there uh, in our general culture and popular culture, even among our popular uh, philosophers and psychologists today, there's this this great desire and search for truth. And I think part of that arises out of the fact that over these last couple of years, uh, we've asked ourselves so many times if what we hear in the media is true, if what we hear on the television, the radio is true, you know, can I believe it? Is it true? Is it not true? I hear something from a political leader one week, and then a week later I hear something diametrically opposed, and I'm not sure whether to believe it or not. What is truth? Well, the Bible addresses these questions for us. And I've preached on some of these things before, so some of it may be familiar to, especially my family. You know, when I preach a sermon, I've, uh, I've had it with them at least four or five times in family devotions. And so they've heard this before, I know. But John chapter 18, the 33rd verse says this. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself? Or did others tell it thee of me? Now remember when Jesus asks a question in the scripture, it's not because Jesus is trying to find out the answer. He already knows the answer. When he tells someone to do something, he's not trying to figure out if they'll obey and do it or not. He already knows whether they will or whether they won't. So I think that when he asks a question, he's possibly asking for two reasons. One is for them to see what they'll do with it. 
or for us to look back at what they did with it and learn something from it. <laughs> and you can learn something from this. You know, if, uh, if you find yourself in a position of understanding that Jesus is the Christ, that he's not just the king of the Jews, he's the king of the universe. Ask yourself, is this something that someone else told you? Or is it something that you believe in a heart of faith? Faith which was born of the Spirit. Oh, someone else might have told you his name or his position or where he is today on the right hand of the majesty on high. But who brought that belief forth in your heart? Was it of someone else? Or is it something of yourself? Is it part of you? Is it part of your nature? Because if it is, then it was given you of God. And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews? But now is my kingdom not from thence. And Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king? Jesus answered, Thou sayest I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. In verse 38, Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? What is truth? Brothers and sisters, that's the wrong question to ask. I hear it asked in our culture. Um, I hear it on podcasts. I hear it uh, in media when I occasionally uh, listen to things like that. There's a cry for truth. What is truth? But I'll submit to you this morning that that is the wrong question to ask. The question is not what is truth or where is truth. The question we should be asking ourselves is who is truth? Because Jesus has already declared that unto us. In John, the 14th chapter, the 6th verse, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So Jesus has already let us know that he personifies truth. The question this morning is not what is truth. The real question is who is truth? Because if you understand who is truth and you understand that his word is truth, then you have a source of infallible, inerrant, authoritative truth to guide your life. If you don't see that, then you'll find yourself asking the question that Pilate arrogantly asked here, what is truth? Well, if you ask that question to a thousand people and they don't understand who truth is, you'll get a thousand different answers. What is a true marriage? Go ask a bunch of people. You'll get a bunch of answers today. Go ask our Supreme Court what they think one is. And you'll get an answer very different than what the Holy Scriptures say that it is. Because the Lord himself said in Matthew chapter 19... In the beginning created he male and female, male and female created he them. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. The Lord himself with his words defines it, see. That's right. What is salvation? The Lord himself with his words defines it. Amen. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He is our salvation. He is our hope. He is our truth. He is our faith personified to us. So Pilate's asking the wrong question. And when you ask the wrong question, a lot of times you, you arrive at the wrong conclusion. And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> there was no fault in him. That is a true statement. But that wasn't Pilate's job that day. Pilate is supposed to try to find out whether or not Jesus is a threat to the nation, whether he's a threat to their political system, 
whether he has, has blasphemed the God of the Jews and all these other things. And Pilate takes the easy road out, which is what most politicians will do most of the time because they're often just um, contriving to try to keep the peace and keep everyone satisfied. He comes out and says, well, I, I find no fault at all. But you have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. So I'm, I'm kind of just leaving it in your hands. In other words, and, this is, and this, is, this is a side note, rabbit trail. I'll use up too much time on it probably. But this is what often happens in politics, is it not? Whatever you folks want. Because I'm working on my next turn. And if I offend you all by telling you the truth, I might not get voted back in. So what do you want? In other words, I know I'm called to render judgment on this man. But I tell you what, you tell me what you want to do and I'll just do that. Because even though Pilate is a sovereign leader over the uh, Tetrarchy of Judea by order of the Roman Senate, he's still got to deal with all these restless Jews who are, you know, they're not all just walking around with long beards and robes. (laughs) These are are fierce folks, you know, and they have beliefs and he doesn't want to offend them and cause an insurrection. So he says, I tell you what, what do you want? Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then they crawl, cried again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. You know, if, if you go through life asking yourself the question, what is truth in an arrogant way as Pilate does here? Pilate, who is extremely well educated, he's a wealthy man. Again, he's got friends in the Roman Senate, which is the most powerful government on the face of the earth at that time. He's been appointed absolute authority over life and death to one of the wealthiest places on the planet at this point, which is the Tetrarchy of Judea, where all the trade from the Far East to Northern Africa, they have to pass through there. Okay, it's the center of the date palm industry. You know, there are wealthy, wealthy people in this land. There's a lot of money to be made. And Pilate is over all this. Okay. I've said this before to young people, but I'll say it again. I know you probably think every time Brother Neil gets up there, he says this, but I want you to understand this. Is you will find yourself to some extent in this position someday as a follower of Christ. You will stand in the judgment hall. And Pilate, the political leader, the professor, the one who knows it all, the one that's got all the letters behind his name and all the degrees will look at you arrogantly as you are a follower of Christ and as you bear the image of Christ and indeed as you are in Christ and you are inseparable from Christ from the foundation of the world and he or she will look at you and say, what is truth? Or what do you know? I don't know everything and I don't have all the answers, but I do know who truth is. I do know who personifies truth. And I do know who gave us truth. And so the question of what is truth will always be secondary to who defines truth. So just think with me for a few moments today about truth. We have to have truth. We have to have in our relationships. I've said this before. But the more intimate a relationship is, or the more power structures built into the relationship, the more it requires truth. I've tried to use this example before. You know, if a waitress at a restaurant lies to me and says what's on the menu is really not, they really don't have it that day, but she's just too lazy to go get it and lies to me, so what? You know, maybe they don't have a steak, I'll eat a hamburger. That, that really doesn't affect my life very much. But if someone with whom I share an intimate relationship lies to me, I'm destroyed. I'm broken. I'm hurting. It might destroy a marriage. It could destroy a friendship. 
or someone who exercises authority over me lies to me. It puts me in a, a great deal of difficulty, does it not? What if someone in the political system, you know, lies to you and, and um, comes up with just some ideas that aren't true and aren't proven and, you know, and, and decides to just in, insert those into the, uh, the totalitarian side of government and you lose your business or something like that? Well, that, that's a big deal. So, so, so you need a basis of truth. You've got to have it. But we ought to be asking ourselves the question, who is truth? Because you don't realize that what is commonly accepted as truth in classrooms, uh, in science textbooks, yes, and medical textbooks, yes. Some of you are in medicine, you know that. <laughs> Things change, don't they? Yeah. So what we understand as truth is we look out at the natural world, you know, we'll learn more down the road and we'll probably uh, redefine our definitions a little bit. We'll research it a little more. We'll get a little bit uh, better of an understanding of some things. And so that happens. So that's true when we look at the natural world that it's the glory of a king to uncover a matter. But I've got to have a basis for truth that I always return to. Because I'll find myself, if I follow the world and what the world says is truth, especially as regards like our basic relationships and the basic structure of, say, the home and those other things, if I look at how the world defines that and I begin to follow the world, if there's absolute truth right here and I start to veer off just a little bit and a year goes by, I find myself a little bit different and then five years goes by and then ten years goes by and you can't see it on the podcast, or, but, I'm, but I'm gradually uh, you know, getting a declination here off the starting point is I wind up 20 years later and I don't know who I am anymore. Why? Because I just followed some idea of truth and I didn't understand that there was an absolute truth that could guide me every day that I always have to return to. I always have to go back to. And I will submit to you today that that truth personified and that you feel alive in your heart is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Amen. As He says it in John chapter 12, it is the Spirit of truth that He has sent to us to be a comfort to us when He was no longer here actually directly speaking those words that we mostly have written down and read in our Bibles. Oh, He came and He bore witness to truth and He spoke truth and He said truth and much of it was written down for us. But John said the books of the world could not contain all the words that He said and all the things that He did. But the Spirit of God tells you in your heart, does it not? That's the personification of truth alive in you. But then the application of truth is in wisdom. And that comes from the Word of God. So when I'm looking at my life and I feel the Spirit is telling me, you're getting off track, Neil. You're getting off track, whatever your name is. And you start to veer away from that truth that is written in your heart when you were born again. And you realize I'm getting further and I'm getting a little further. And what do I do? Where do I go? This one says this. Pilate says this. The professor says this. The talking head says this. The you know, Instagram says this. Uh, this movie star says this. Who's right? Well, you go back to the, the applied truth. The wisdom of the Word of God. And you understand that it will always bring you back in line if you understand that it's truth, if you believe that it's truth. Now we see examples of this all through the Scripture of folks who didn't have truth personified in them. They didn't have truth alive in them in terms of God's Spirit. So they weren't interested in applied truth. Applied truth in the wisdom of the Word of God 
is foolishness to the world. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, I believe it's the 18th verse, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. If you have the Spirit of God in you, then the preaching of the Gospel, the reading of God's Word, it means something. And it means something important to you, does it not? In John the 8th chapter, the 43rd verse, I'm going to move very, very quickly here. The Lord is addressing some people who come to Him arrogantly with some questions. And He says this to them, Why do you not understand My speech? Even because you cannot hear My Word. That's the living Word. They can't hear it. Why? You're of your father the devil. And the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. Why did He abide not in the truth? Because there is no truth in Him. He doesn't have the personification of truth in Jesus Christ, in His Spirit, in Him. So He speaks a lie. And so the Lord goes on and says in verse 45, and because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Now a lot of times people think, well, if, if someone would just tell me the truth, I'd believe it. Well, people a lot of times believe what they want to hear. Right? They don't want to hear the truth. Because you know the truth does hurt sometimes. I mean, it'll set you free. But sometimes it'll make you examine yourself and you don't always like what you see when you look at yourself in the mirror of God's Word. I know for me that's true. I mean, sometimes I just feel like a worthless wretch. I get home from a hard day at work and I think of some of the things I've said or done or thought because I was angry and frustrated. And then I read in the Scripture how I'm supposed to control my tongue and how the tongue was, you know, would just kindle a great fire. And I think, oh, I'm just such a wretch. I did it again. I didn't mean to. But see, we need to do that, don't we? Because if we don't, the next thing we'll know, we'll veer off over here and then we're just lamb blasting everybody and just and then we have no relationships and our life is worthless. We gotta get back to the truth. But you gotta have the truth in your heart first before the word of God, the written word, will mean anything to you. John chapter 10, very similar circumstance. Verse 23, Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch, and then came the Jews around him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? In other words, it's your fault we doubt, Jesus. No, not Jesus' fault. If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believe not. Some people will say, well, hey, look, you know, I don't believe in all this Jesus stuff and Christianity and the Bible and all, but you know, I'll tell you what, if he showed up and, and just stood in front of me and talked to me and I saw him do some miracles, I believe, well, these people experienced that. They did hear him speak. And they did him see him work miracles, and they saw him raise the dead, some of them. And in John, the, the 12th chapter, a few pages over, when he, um, excuse me, the 11th chapter, you know, when he resurrects Lazarus from the dead, the response that a lot of the Jews have is to get together and try to figure out how to get rid of him. <laughs> Why? Are they trying to get rid of him because he raised the dead? I don't think it's so much because he raised the dead, it's because he told them the truth. They don't want the truth, they didn't want to hear the truth. But you got examples of people um, like Mary <laughs> who was so broken by personified spirit truth in her life that she approaches the Lord to wash His feet with her tears, to dry them off with her hair, and anoint them with oil. And she comes at Him from, from the opposite side of His face. She won't even look at Him in the eyes. She's so broken over her sin and over her depravity. In the 14th chapter of Matthew, the Syrophoenician woman, when the Lord says... I've come, but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, it is not me to cast the Father's bread to the dogs. And she says, truth, Lord. That's true. Buy just like a few crumbs from the table. 
You see, truth can hurt. But if you've got the Spirit of God in your heart confirming that truth, that applied truth is sweet to your ears. You say, well, what the Lord told these people sounded kind of cold-hearted. I think it's better that the Lord just told them the truth. These people didn't want to be with the Lord when He was walking around on this planet and when He was preaching and teaching and healing people. They sought to kill Him then. You think they want to spend eternity with Him? I don't think so. They don't love Him. They don't love His priorities. They don't want anything to do with this sweet, humble man who comes around and takes care of his you know, sad and broken children and lifts them up ultimately to a place in heaven where they are joint heirs with Christ. He's telling the truth. But there's also truth, you know, experienced. The truth in our hearts, the personification of truth, tells us that when you hear the applied truth from God's Word, the wisdom of God's Word, it tells you and it, and it bears witness with your heart that, yeah, that's true. I believe that. But there's also an experience of truth in this life. Amen. And I believe you're enjoying it this morning. Because the Bible also says the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Where should you be able to go of all the places in the world and still hear the truth? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if nothing else defines it, there are other things, but if nothing else did, you would know the church of the Lord Jesus Christ when you sat and the Spirit of God in your heart, the personification of truth, bore witness with the truth that was being preached to you and you can experience that truth and you can see the love in the eyes of your brothers and sisters and you know in your heart that I'm home and I'm going home with these people and I'm going to see them there someday. And everyone around me is headed the same place and they love Him for the same reason that I do. They're my brothers and they're my sisters. And brothers and sisters, that's truth. I thank you for your time this morning.